for about the last five years now, sharing the gospel with other people has been important to me. This includes both Christians who are regularly attending church, strong in their faith and their belief, and it also includes people who've yet to surrender their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And for me personally, that's important. I think it's an area that is too often looked over. You know, we, we as Christians, regardless of the church we belong to or the, de the denomination, we go to our gatherings on Sundays, we, we have our group Bible studies, we have our prayer teams, and we're very communicative with one another and encouraging others and helping one another grow and develop. But we seem to overlook chasing after the lost, which is the whole point of what Jesus accomplished while he was here on earth. And over the last few years, when I talk to people who are yet to be surrendered to Jesus, this includes both people who have no interest in God whatsoever, could care less, you know, eternity's the last thing on their mind. But it also includes a lot of people I take time to talk to. They, they go to church every week. They pray, they read their Bible, they just, they have it in their mind. The enemy tells them that they are so far gone that Jesus is not interested in them, that they're just, they're out of his reach. And this, this couldn't be further, further from the truth. You know, as salvation happens and as we surrender to Jesus, we're... We are expected to grow and to change how we live and to make different decisions and to act differently. But we're by no means perfect. Sanctification is a process that happens from the moment of salvation until we leave this earth. And so it, Jesus wants to meet you right where you're at. He, he's not asking you to go and say a specific number of prayers before you start following him or to memorize a specific amount of scripture scripture before you consider yourself a believer wherever you are that's exactly where Jesus wants to take control and to lead you towards everything he has in store so when gospel grammar decided to start doing these podcasts it was important to me, I wanted to start out with a couple shows specifically intended for those who yet they don't recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior. Rather, this is for either one of the two reasons I just discussed or another I didn't mention. So if you're someone who is strong, strong in your faith, you know, you, you've been going to church and Sunday school your entire life. This might not be real inspiring for you, but I, I bet you know someone who you 
you could share it with. So please do that. We are trying to expand our reach at Gospel Grammar. So anyone you think this message might apply towards, by all means, please send in the link to the show. And we, we would love to hear from you who you've sent it to so we can be praying for them. And if you are someone who hears this show that it directly applies to your life, or more importantly, if you're someone who's been given, sent this link from someone else, please reach out to us and let us know how we can be praying both with and for you. That is an important part of what we do at Gospel Grammar. So with today's message... I'm going to focus on Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. And we we do a lot on social media and YouTube, but this is our first show as a podcast. So how how this works, I will read through the scripture I just mentioned. I'll read through it, and then I'll come back and go through it again and break things down a little bit to hopefully reach out and inspire someone else. So here we go, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I come not to call the righteous, but sinners." So this is, um, you know, if you if you are someone who's new to Bible study, this was Levi who later is given the name Matthew. And according to the majority of Bible scholars, he's the writer of this gospel. The the person here who we're speaking of, this is the person who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. And the the first thing that really needs our attention is the fact that he was a tax collector. And tax collectors are some of the most, they were some of the most hated people by Jews in the Jewish culture. These were Jews who would go to work for the Romans collecting tax. But they had a certain amount they needed to collect for the Roman government. But they would tax people much more and they would keep what was left over. And they did not hide this. The Romans knew about it. The other Jewish citizens knew about it. 
So if you were a, a Jewish person and you were paying Roman taxes to another Jewish citizen, you knew you were getting ripped off. You knew you were paying more than you were required to pay. And out of that, the tax collector was able to be lazy. They didn't work another job. They didn't have another means of providing for their families. They solely thrived financially based on the taxes they were forcing you to pay that were not even going to the Roman government. In, in the mind of the other Jewish people, you were both you were both a traitor and a thief if you took on the role as a tax collector for the Roman for the Romans. So this this is pretty significant here. This Levi Matthew he he didn't have a lot of friends. He would have been by himself a lot. The Romans, of course, they would have looked down on him because he was Jewish and the Romans just believed they were superior to everybody and the Jews would have had nothing to do with him because of what he was doing career-wise so it, it was really a life of solitude you, you didn't have companionship or any friends this wasn't something you wanted to do yes you were provided for financially but you, you were by yourself you were a loner you had no one else to support you through friendship or growing or anything like that so the fact that jesus calls one of these tax tax collectors that really that right there shows no one is out of the reach of jesus christ Regardless of the past, regardless of the mistakes you've made, no matter what you've done, Jesus wants to reach out to you right where you are. And he can use your past and the circumstances and the situations of your life. He can use those to glorify his name and to inspire other believers. And the second point that uh, really got my attention here. And this can go towards people who are Christians who believe in Jesus and the people here like Matthew. It says in verse, in verse 9, He saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax booth and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and he followed him. This is this is significant because Matthew, you know, as Christians today, a lot of us, when we hear from God through prayer or however it is we communicate with God, when God's showing us his will in our lives, too many of us, we have questions. You know, when God says, follow me, we want to know where we're going. Who's going with us? What are we doing when we get there? How are we going to provide for ourselves along the way? And here it tells us Matthew, Levi did not ask any questions. He got up and he immediately followed Jesus. And also, it, it's significant to me, Jesus already had disciples following him. He already had Jewish disciples. And like I previously said, the Jewish people could not stand tax collectors. There was literally a hate for them. So, uh, you know, if, I, if I'm if i following Jesus and 
he calls someone else to follow along with us that I have this kind of resentment and grudge against, I'm going to complain. I'm going to try to interfere. I'm going to try to do something to make this not happen. And here the other disciples, they don't do this. I'm sure it got their attention, and I'm sure they had questions and thoughts of their own. But nobody, the Bible doesn't tell us anybody interjected with this. When you follow Jesus, you're in 100%. That doesn't mean you have to like everything. That doesn't mean you have to even agree with everything. But you accept it. You've made the determination following God's will is significant and what you want to base your life upon. And along the way, we don't complain about the circumstances that surround us. We go along as we are called. The, uh, the next verse here, verse 10, this really won't have an effect on anyone's faith. I just want to paint a little bit of a picture here of the situation. It says, And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, <clears throat> and that that's something a lot of people have reached out to me about before in the past when they're new to the Bible, they don't understand what's going on, why you'd be reclining at a table. And what you have to realize is back here during biblical times, people did not eat at a table like we do today. It, you didn't pull up a chair and sit. The tables sat on the ground. So you, you literally, you would sit there, you would sit on the ground on the floor and the table would be about waist high, which is, I don't know, I want to say maybe five to eight inches off the ground. And how they would sit, they would sit leaning in and facing towards the table and they would have their feet stretched out behind them. So, it, I mean, it literally, you were right there on the ground next to each other, reclining in, focusing on the table and what was going on around. So that that's why they use that word recline and not sit. And while they are, while, there's a group of them here. There, there's several tax collectors. There's several quote-unquote sinners, which technically speaking, all of us are sinners. But there's some significance behind the word here. And what you have to realize is Matthew had Jesus call him to follow. Matthew would have shared that with the other tax collectors. He would have said, hey, look, here's this Jewish rabbi who's asked me to follow him. He, he doesn't care about the past. He doesn't care about what I had going on right now. He called me to follow him. You guys need to come and check him out. So this place would have been packed. There would have been a lot of people there including Pharisees. The simple fact that Pharisees were there, they were the religious leaders of the Jewish culture back then. They were the priests, they were the leaders of the Jewish faith among among the public. You know, of course, there were, there were priests and rabbis and whatnot, but the Pharisees were the ones out in the public teaching and sharing God with others. And we read here, 
We read here, and when the Pharisees saw this, which they're referring to the group of people that Jesus had surrounded himself with, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And the Pharisees would have regarded a sinner as anyone who failed to keep God's law as, as they interpreted it. Which the Pharisees, you have to understand, they grew up their entire lives just not just reading the Old Testament scriptures, but memorizing them word for word. The Pharisees, just to be 100% positive, they were obedient to God's law the Pharisee had laws about the laws. You know, we have God's commandments in the scriptures, and then we also have these laws that were not directly spoken by God, but they were set through the traditions of what they saw as the church at the time. And the term here seems to reflect a commonly understood meaning which included both people guilty of publicly known sin and others who did not keep the strict the strict purity requirements of the Pharisees. So the Pharisees put all this effort and all this work and detail into following the law. And if you did not do that yourself, if you weren't in the little group of Pharisees, if you weren't one of them, they automatically looked down on you. They saw you as inferior. They saw you as being someone who was damned to hell. You were going to face consequences rather than blessings. So it's really got their attention when Ju when Jesus hits the scene and he's, you know, he he's reaching out to prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. And th this is just mind-blowing to the Pharisees because here they've spent their whole life, they've devoted everything they are to knowing God's law and being obedient. And here they are so close to Jesus that they can smell his breath and they don't recognize him as God. They simply see him as another, another rabbi who has a group of outcasts following him. And we see here when, when Jesus, because he can perceive what's going on in our hearts and our minds, not simply just hearing the words we say, when Jesus sees what's going on and how the Pharisees are responding, Jesus says, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick... And the Pharisees, they considered themselves as quote-unquote healthy before God because of their observance of the law. They were blind because they were so focused on obeying the, the law and their outward performances and their self-righteousness, they were blind to their spiritual sickness. Jesus' point is that only those who realize their need come to him for the help they have to have. Salvation cannot come through self-righteousness. 
So, you know, here were these church people, the Pharisees, you know, and we, we still see this today. We have church people who they think because they're at church every week, they're at the Bible study through the week, they spend time in their Bibles every day, they pray more often than just upon waking up and before going to bed. We have all these people who think all their activity puts them closer to God. But Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus is actually reaching out to those who know they fail at all this. They know they don't keep the law. They know they have no understanding or knowledge of Scripture. They know they fail at their prayer life. They are broken people. They're not people who are bad trying to be better. They are spiritually dead. You know, we, we don't need a self-help book. We don't need a 12-step program. We don't need a life coach. We need a Savior. Because of our sin, we are dead, and we need a Savior. We need His righteousness because ours is of absolutely no avail. And the Pharisees just could not grasp this. You know, the the people they frowned upon, the sinners, the people they looked down at, these people knew it, and they flocked to Jesus. They would crowd him so much that he couldn't even walk throughout parts of the Bible. There was a need, a thirst, and a hunger. They knew this man had something that they needed, and they wanted that at all costs. And that's exactly how we need to be. We need to realize how broken and how spiritually bankrupt we are that without Jesus, there is no heaven for us. There is no relationship with God. There is no living a morally sound life. It, without Jesus, there is absolutely nothing else. And with, with Jesus' response here, he says, go and learn what this means. And he's referring to the statement, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And what he's referring to, for starters, those exact words that he used, go and learn what this means. This was a very commonly used phrase to rebuke those who did not know something that should have been common knowledge. So in a way here, you know, Jesus is being a smart aleck with the Pharisees. He's, he's saying, look, this is common knowledge. Everybody knows this except for you go and learn what this means and what he's referring to this is an old testament scripture and like i said these pharisees have spent their entire lives just memorizing god's word word for word and so here jesus is referring to hosea chapter 6 verse 6 and that verse is for i desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And what, what Jesus is telling these people is that 
look, you know, I, I'm not looking what you're doing. That's great and everything, but it's not going to save you. Your daily activities are not what's going to grant you salvation and entrance into the kingdom of God. I'm the only one that's going to do that. And what I want is your steadfast love. And I want you to have more knowledge of me and who I am. Your sacrifice, that does absolutely nothing for you. And what these Pharisees failed to realize is they thought because of their good works, they were saved. And as Christians today, post-resurrection and even before Jesus' death on the cross, it's not our good works that save us. We are not saved by good works, but we are called to them. Not because there's something to earn or a prize be a prize be won, but because of our love for Jesus. We obey him, we follow his commandments, we live life by example, showing others what Jesus has done both in and through us. <clears throat> Nah, the verse Jesus referred to, Hosea 6.6, 6, Jesus' offer of salvation to sinners threatens the Pharisees' way of life, yet is at the heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of the gospel that Jesus came announcing to the people. The Pharisees tended to focus on the outward ritual and ceremonial aspects of God's law, and they neglected the inward, eternal, and moral precepts. In doing so, they became harsh, judgmental, and self-righteously scornful of others. And we, we can still feel that today, you know, I'm, I'm not going to mention a group of people or anything like that but we all you know we can read that statement and everyone has somebody come to mind you know it's self-righteous the person that thinks they're automatically better off because of the way they live because of their activities because of what they do and when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to our relationship with with Jesus Christ, our identity precedes our activity. It's not who it's not what we do, it's who we are that matters. You're either a sinner saved by the grace, love, and mercy of Jesus Christ, or you're not even a believer who's still trying to earn your way into heaven. And that's something that is never going to happen regardless of what you do. So as we started this show, I mentioned I really wanted to focus on those people. Not necessarily those who've never met Jesus or never heard of him or something like that. But maybe you're one of the people who you're at church every week and you just you wish you could get it that something would click you know maybe someday if you live good enough church will be for you you just don't have it all together right now and the faith is what's important here it's not it's not that you believe that it's that you believe in it's not that you believe that yes 
Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners. I believe that. But I don't believe in the fact that I count on that. I don't live the way I suppose, I'm supposed to yet. I don't follow what Jesus calls his disciples to. So because of that, I'm not included. I don't qualify. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus wants to meet you right exactly where you are. And he wants you to give up. To surrender your life to him and just tell him, look... I'm not ready for this. I can't do this on my own. I, I'm not just broke. I'm spiritually broken. And I need you to step up. I need you to show up and show off in my life. Because if you don't do something right now, this is going to get nasty before it's all over. And those are those are the people we need to be reaching out to. Those are the people we need to be demonstrating it. Hey, look, there's no good or better or good enough Christian. It's either Christian or unchristian, and that's it. And there's always room for growth and development, regardless of where you are. And until you surrender to Jesus Christ and you become filled with His Holy Spirit you're always just going to be missing the mark. And even with that, we still sin. We still miss the mark. But we're forgiving, not because of how much we love God, but because of how much He loves us. He loves us long before we even realize just how shallow our love for Him is. So if, hopefully that can hit home with somebody and like I said, if there's anyone you know personally that could relate to that, please send this, share this with them today. Um, we don't have a definite schedule yet with podcasts for Gospel Grammar. It's our intentions to get on here and maybe do two or three shows a week. I believe the next one will be done Friday evening. So, um... We hope we provided some kind of encouragement or inspiration to somebody. And we look forward to speaking with everyone again soon. God bless.